Thanks, Devin. That was excellent. Um, and just uh, great to have the online guys uh, with us. Uh, you know, we usually would go to the preach, uh, sorry, to the worship now. But um, as most of you guys know, uh, on the recent uh, assessment of the Joshian licensing, we weren't able to stream the worship uh, anymore uh, until that's resolved. So for the sake of the guys online, we'll do the preach first. And, and then we'll have a lack of time of worship later, yeah? So, yeah, let's just pray as we gather around his, around his word. Lord, we just thank you for your word to us this afternoon, Lord. We thank you for the guys online that are joining us as well. And uh, as Devin prayed earlier, that they would, uh, yeah, feel, uh, feel your, uh, the power of your word would even go across to them as we, as we, um, as we look at your word right now, Father. So speak into our hearts. Put your fire in our hearts, Lord. Change us. Recalibrate us, Lord. God, I can't uh, deliver anything that would change anyone, Lord. Not, not in a real sense. But, Lord, you can change us, Lord. So we just pray that as, you, as, as we read your word, Lord, that you would change us, recalibrate us, draw us closer to the truth. Lord, where we're out of line, where we've either... Um, you, ra- you, lay, you lay a plumb line in our lives. If we too much left of the plumb line or too much right, that you'd recalibrate us, Lord, so that we would be centered in your truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, um, well done um, to Paul. Um, I, I gave Paul uh, about 12 hours to prep, so, but it was so good. I even feel like I don't need to preach. Um, uh, I'm just being faithful. It was very good. So in future, I'm probably just going to be giving you 12 hours notice in future because it's just so good. Okay. So you obviously function well under pressure. And, um, so you've actually nailed yourself now. So <laughs> that was really good, Paul. Thank you. And it's just great, great to have, uh, Devin leading as well. Uh, these are young guns, the young lions, uh, from the youth, uh, big youth hotshots that are now, um, leading the, the, you know, when, when I'm with Jesus, like, Playing my harp, these are the guys going to be leading the church. So um, it's be great, great to be in your hands, even if it's just for a little bit. So last uh, two, two, two Tuesdays ago, I uh, taught on brotherhood or sisterhood. Adolphoi is the Greek word, and we looked at the root of that, which is Delphus, which is uh, the womb, uh, a word for the womb. And in this case, it talks about the womb of the Holy Spirit, that we've been born of the womb of the Holy Spirit. And uh, we are true brothers and sisters, as much as brothers and sisters in a natural sense, uh, which can be a, you know, a tricky thing for us to process, uh, that Jesus would even say that we're at least as strongly connected as real family in a blood sense, if not more, and Jesus said in, uh, in that classic example, who are my brothers and my sisters? Um, and he was contrasting with his, his blood brother and sister and mother outside the house, but he said inside the house, which was only a spiritual family, here is my brother and my sister and my mother. So we looked at that, and uh, there was a huge encouragement for us to treat each other differently uh, if we need to. Some of us might just be treating each other like uh, acquaintances, uh, other people that occupy seats at church. 
um, on the west side and we're on the east side. And actually starts to look at each other as being born of the same womb. There's an intimacy of the spirit that we share. Amen? So uh, only the Holy Spirit can reveal that to us. And we just really pray that God would shift us on that. Is that we would really know that this is Jesus' desire for us. Truly. He prayed that we would be one as him and the Father are one. Referring to us. Uh, we know that physical family will pass away, but spiritual family is for eternity. I know some of you might be a little bit bummed about that, that we are going to be forever and ever and ever and ever with, with Joey. Like, I mean, but here's the good news that, that we're all going to be with each other for eternity with the 2.0 version of us, which is the, the, with, is the person without the flesh. So I'm going to be in Do- with Donna. Without her flesh, her socks, her sinful nature, which uh, she is particularly thrilled that she's not going to have that within, in me. I know she's, because um, when you're married, you really get to know each other's weaknesses, strengths and weaknesses, that we're going to be with each other without our weaknesses. We're going to be with each other without the, the corrupted flesh. So that is good news, but while we're here on the flesh, we do need to tolerate and put up with each other. Our ups and downs, our highs and lows, our testing, and uh, we all know what that's like. Um, but that's all part of being family. We take the good and we take the bad. So if you haven't seen that preach, just encourage you. It's called uh, Brotherhood. It's uh, on uh, the website. And really important you have a look at that because I'm just building on that today. So if you haven't, just uh, catch it up on the website. What I felt like the Lord is saying is that he, uh, as we uh, uh, understand that we're part of this family, that that's fine. We, 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 we understand that in the spirit, that the truth of the words is that we have been born into this family. But for some of us, we, we still have that choice. Or for most of us, we still have that choice where we look at ourselves, our individuals, and then we look at the church, the family of God. And we have to make a decision in a sense, to join that family consciously. We understand that we should. We understand that we have the same DNA. But then we, understand, we need to make a conscious decision to join that church. And most of us here have done that. We've joined this family. But also as we join the family, we need to realize that it's not just giving our signature. It's not just giving our bodies to warm a seat on Sunday. That the Lord is actually asking us to give our hearts completely. We saw that picture last Sunday of, or two Sundays ago, of that cherry engrafting, a, a, a branch being engrafted into the stem, where the branches, sorry, where the bark was removed, and on both sides, on the stem and on the branch being engrafted, and the soft parts were touching, and as those remain together, they eventually become one, and you can take away the binding. So that was a gardening lesson for us all, um, but it had that spiritual truth. But as we go through, we understand that it needs to happen. There still needs to be this conscious decision to give our hearts. And here's the problem, is that when we look at, our f- at this, if I can call you guys a mob, and I'll include myself in that, if you, if you look at this mob here, 
it can be hard to want to join this mob with all our hearts because we all know that I'm not perfect. You know, pastors aren't perfect. The leadership's not perfect. No one's perfect. We know that our brothers and sisters are not perfect. We see them in their good and their bad. We see that sometimes they're doing well. Sometimes they're not doing well. They sometimes hurt us. They're sometimes arrogant. They're sometimes selfish. What a normal family is like. And that makes us want to maybe... Give ourselves, we just turn up, but we, we, we either withdraw our hearts or we don't give our hearts. And God is asking us to give our hearts all the time. And yeah, so I really wanted to talk today about devotion to the family. And we understand that when Jesus came to earth, that he joined this family of humans. And we understand that he gave everything here to us. That in Philippians 2.8, it says, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by being obedient to death, even death on a cross. So Jesus held back nothing. And he's asking us, as he joined the family of humans, and held back nothing for us. He's asking us in this family to hold back nothing, even to the point of giving our whole lives. And that's a tough thing for us, you know. I think... For us, um, we may want to give everything for family, for physical family. But will we give everything for spiritual family? And we need to understand first that this thing here is the body of Jesus. And Ephesians 1, to 23 explains that and says, And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him, as talking about Jesus, to be head over everything for the church, which is his body. That this here is the body of Christ. And as you joined to Christ, you are joined to this. And God is asking you to give everything, all your heart. He's not wanting you just to give 5% or 10%. He's not wanting you to even give it your own, um, uh, to budget your heart or budget your time. He's actually asking you to give everything. As he gave everything. And we see that in the example of um, Jesus' conversation with uh, Peter in John 21, 17 to 18. And he asks, Jesus asks uh, Peter, and this is just before Jesus ascends to heaven. Um, and he asks him three times, do you love me? And on the third time, we pick it up on the third, the, the, on the third time. The third time, he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. And he'd asked Peter the same on the last two occasions, feed my sheep. And then he prophesies, Jesus prophesies over Peter. Very truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and went where you wanted. But when you are, and this is the part that's key, when you are old, you will stretch out your hands. And that's referring to Peter later being crucified on a cross in AD 64, we understand, under Emperor Nero. Later on, you will stretch out your hands. We are, uh, historically, we understand that Peter was even crucified upside down, that he requested that. And someone else will dress you and lead you where you do not want to go, that Jesus was saying to Peter, love my sheep, love this bunch, love this bunch. He had to say three times, love this bunch. Like, <laughs> he was kind of reminding it because Peter must have gone like, yeah, I'll love them, but yeah, 
I don't know how much I'm going to love them. And Jesus is like, you better love them. Second time, do you love me? Do you love me, Peter? Third time, love this bunch. And you're going to love this bunch so much that eventually it's going to be to that point. You're going to love this bunch. And he's going to say that to every single one of us. How much do you love this body of Christ that you've been joined to? That for some of us it might mean that. For Peter it did. But the intention should be the same. He's asking for all of our hearts. And we see with Peter, uh, sorry, with um, Paul in uh, 2 Corinthians 11, uh, 23 to 28, is that even in the life of, uh, of Paul, that Paul hated the church. He persecuted the church. He was involved with murdering Christians. We understand that God changed Paul, the apostle's heart, so much that he moved from hating the church, killing Christians. He moved from that place, absolutely hating this thing. Like he, he would have looked over this and gone, I hate this. I just want to kill this. He moved from that to I love this so much that I will do anything for this. And we see this in the scripture here. Where he, he talks about, when he's talking about the church, he said, I've worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, been exposed to death again and again. Uh, five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one, carrying on all these things. He's been in danger, been in the open sea. Um, go to the next scripture. I've labored, toiled, done everything, been without food, been cold because of my concern for all the churches. So Paul moved, Paul, who was originally Saul, he moved from a place of I hate this thing too. I love this thing so much that I'll do anything for this. And we might go, well, that's Paul the Apostle. But I really do believe that God wants us to have the same attitude as Paul, that we'd be willing to say, I will do everything, anything for this. That is how much God has moved my heart in love for this. His body that he died for on the cross. He purchased this through his precious blood. This would not be without his purchase, without his payment for our ransom, without his work on the cross, without that extreme price that he paid. This would not be in place. And I love this. And I'm going to do this for him because he loves us and he died for this. Amen. And I, I was reminded of the scripture of Ruth. Now, for the, those of you that have not book, written, uh, read the book of Ruth in the Old Testament, Ruth was a Moabite. So Ruth was from Moab. She wasn't connected to God. She wasn't part of God's family. Then she marries um, her husband, whose mother is Naomi. Now, Naomi is... A Jew. She is representative of the family of God. So Ruth gets joined into the family of God by marriage. Unfortunately, her husband dies. So her connection to the family of God with Naomi is cut off. And Naomi says to her, Go and I've got no more husband for you. I've got no more kids. Go back to Moab and find a husband for yourself. Basically, go back into the world. I can't help you in the physical. But Ruth sees something in Naomi, and that's the 
the famous scripture in the book. She sees something, and I'll read that in a sec. She sees something in Naomi that makes her want to cling to Naomi. And it's Naomi's association or a representation of the family of God. And this is the heart that God wants us to have. He wants to put this heart in us. And we see in Ruth 1.6. So instead of going and bailing and going to find a husband, which was highly desirable for Ruth, she wanted a husband. In those days, it was kind of like everything. Instead of that, and even instead of following Naomi's instruction, instead she looks at Naomi and she says, uh, is that really sex? Is it? Okay, uh-huh. uh, I'm looking for um, where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Quickly Google that. Um, um, you guys know that one, hey? Your people will be my people and your God, my God. If you find this, you will be greatly blessed. First one to you. <laughs> it is Ruth. <laughs> A 16. Ruth 1.16. Okay. Uh, um, who said that first? Great shall your inheritance be in the kingdom of God. <laughs> blessing upon blessing. Okay. Ruth 1.16. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Can we somehow see as Ruth sees when we see this? That I would say to every single one of you, the way that Ruth says to Naomi, I would say to you. Can we somehow catch that heart? Because somehow... In Ruth's heart, she knew that her inheritance was wrapped up with Naomi and Naomi's God's people. And somehow we need to see as Ruth see it and see that our inheritance is wrapped up together with you guys. That it's not separate from that. And we see that fulfilled in the life of Ruth. Because later on, she doesn't marry any old husband. She clings to Naomi, gets joined to the family of God, as you were joined here. See the connection or the symbolic value. And then she marries Boaz. Boaz turns out to be the grandfather of King David's dad, Jesse. And then eventually from David's line comes the line of Jesus. The moment... Ruth joined herself to God's family and gave with all of her heart as the moment she entered into her destiny, which was a great destiny. If she didn't, if she didn't do that with that attitude, she would just be lost to history. And as you join yourself to God's family in this church or another church, but where God has called you, and if God has called you here, then this is it. As you join with Ruth's attitude, God will fulfill his Beautiful, incredible purpose for you. And you will marry your Boaz. And you will see whatever God has for you. And we will stand alongside and watch God fulfill that purpose for you. In your life, which is incredible. And you will watch it in our lives. We will watch it in each other's lives. As we give our hearts 
to each other. We need each other. We each need to give as Ruth gave, as, Ruth gave. as you give, as you commit yourself in your heart to, to me and I, as I do it to you, we both start to see God's purposes fulfilled in each other's lives. And you might wonder, well, um, how does that work? And it's one of the artworkings, and I'm sure there's many reasons. I think as we come together, there's an intensification of the Holy Spirit. You know, when I'm here in a meeting, I'm often feeling the presence of the Holy Spirit greater than when I'm at home alone. There's a, there's a, there's a, the, the volume gets turned up here. The, the, the God, the God aspect gets turned up here when we're gathering together. So, that would be an example of one of the things that are gained by us joining the family and part of the family. We prophesy of each other. We encourage one over. We encourage one another. But the other thing that I thought that is really good is that we actually speak into each other's lives. We sharpen each other. We actually, as we engage one another, we become a sharper version. And we see that in uh, Proverbs twenty-seven seventeen, it says, "Iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another." And then Hebrews three twelve to 13, it says, Take care, brothers. I think one of the things I often see that takes us away from God's purpose and God's inheritance for our lives is often our own flesh. We are our own worst enemy. And when we're out there alone, even if we love Jesus, it's almost like the devil and our flesh is too strong for us to walk into our full inheritance. But as we... Join here and accountable to one another and submit to what God's doing here. Submit to the leaders, submit to each other. As we do that, especially submit to one another, as we do that, it's almost like we can be kept on track better. And we see this in the scripture and says, yeah, take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil and unbelieving heart. And don't ever say that I'm not possible to have an evil, unbelieving heart. We are all capable of it. You know, the scriptures say that our heart is despicable. Uh, the flesh is corruptible. We know that the, the Bible says that flesh wars against the spirit and the purposes of the spirit. That none of us are exempt from that, leading you to fall away from the living God. And we see that when guys start to drift out of this church, out of this group here, if they're not devoted here with all their hearts, we start to see them drift. We start to see that they fall away from the living God. But then it says here on 13, but exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. And that word exhort, and I've never seen this before, is the word parakaleo. And para means close. We need to be close together. And kaleo means to call. We need to be close to one another, and we need to call to one another. I need to call to Mali. And I need to be close to him as a core. But the call is something deep. It's like I, I'm calling to his perp, the, the purposes of God in Mali. And when I start to see him maybe straying, I'm saying, Mali, pull back. And when Mali starts to see me maybe straying, he's pull back because I want to see the purpose of God accomplished in his life and vice versa. And as we together in this place of accountability to one another, we can stay on the straight and narrow because it's hard to stay on the straight and narrow. You know, if I'm not accountable, if I'm just alone, it's so much easier to sin. But if I know I've got to come to church on Sunday and face all you guys, 
<laughs> I'm like, oi. And that's what it is. We, we're with one another. We're watching one another. I'm watching you. You're watching me. We're keeping each other accountable because of the potential of an evil, unbelieving heart that would lead us away from the living God. And it's just one example of the benefit of this devotion to this here. I'm devoted here because this place is going to keep me on a straight and narrow. And that word paracleo, for some of you, that would be very familiar because we know that the Holy Spirit was referred to in John 14, 26 as the parakletos, almost the exact same word, the helper or him who is close who calls to us. So the, the, the scriptures are saying that as close as the Holy Spirit is to us, whispering us, go in this way, we also need to exhort one another. Like the Holy Spirit, be close and call to one another. So the Holy Spirit's speaking to us and our brothers and sisters are speaking to us. Paracleo, parakletos. Exhort one another to stay on the straight and know. You know, God calls us to have a devotion to the church that's even greater than our devotion to our jobs. And it's really important within our jobs and our workplace, which I believe is there for earning money, providing for a family or for yourself if you're single, being a blessing so that you'll be able to give, and also as a place of evangelism that you can spread the word of God. I mean, sometimes guys are insulated in the church so much if they're full-time that they wish they could have a full-time job in the world, a secular job, just so that they can outreach to guys because we're so insulated, you know. We've got to intentionally go out and evangelize where you guys are sitting with unbelievers all day. However, the place of your heart, your deepest heart, the thing that excites you the most, shouldn't actually be a job, should be this year. Because our jobs will pass away, but this will never pass away. This is for eternity. So as our minds are in eternal things, our job's just a thing that just keeps paying the rent and influencing the world. But my heart of hearts, it's not that I be that architecture is the best thing in the world. Architecture is just something that I do. But my heart of hearts is here with the eternal things because I've been baptized into this. Smith Wigglesworth, the great minister of God who raised people from the dead, was a plumber. But I can tell you that Smith Wigglesworth was much more excited about the church than he was about plumbing. And in the same way, there needs to be deep, deep in us that we are more excited about this family here and our devotion to this here even than our jobs. You guys doing all right? Romans 12.10 Be devoted to one another in love. The Greek of be devoted to one another, if you look at the sentence structure, it says this. In brotherly love to one another, 
be devoted. My brother, lo- brotherly love is Philadelphia. It comes from philos, which is friendship, love, and Delphia of the same womb. So, be, have friendship, love towards those of the same womb, and to one another be devoted. Devoted is philostorgos, which Strong's definition says natural affection for family. Be devoted to one another. Give our hearts to one another. How do we feel about one another? Can the Holy Spirit cultivate a love and a family love for one another that we truly are there? And now let me come to our final point. God wants us to take that which is here and then extend it out into the world. Think about this for a second. Jesus left heaven to come and join us, this rowdy, loud, imperfect mob. And I tell you what, if I was Jesus, I wouldn't want to, want, want to have, have done that. Yeah, um, He was rich. He came to be poor. He was in a place of perfection. And he came down here to suffer. And he asked us to do the same and join this family and be prepared to do all of that. But how is this for an interesting thought? So God's up there in his lounge, his heavenly lounge with angels around. And he decides to take millions of us, us, rowdy mob, and invites us into his lounge to be with us, to be in his lounge for eternity. Would you do that? Millions of us in his lounge for eternity. Like we're not going away. Like, you know, when you have people in your lounge and you're like, okay, it's like 11 o'clock, you know, or, or there's the, there's the, um, the curfew. So it's like convenient. Oh, you know, you guys better go. It's like quarter to 10, you know, don't miss the curfew. God doesn't even have that. He says, you're going to be with me forever. I'm never going to kick you out of my lounge. And there's millions of you. How is the generosity of God? <laughs> it's it's mind-blowing. And we see this in the story of Ananias. So in Acts 9, 10 to 19, and I say never put big scriptures on the board because everyone gets frightened, okay? Except if it's a story. Okay, this is a story, okay? So we can do it. So in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. Now this is the story of Ananias converting Saul, who became Paul. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street and ask for a man named Tarsus, from Tarsus named Saul, for he is praying. In a vision, he had seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Verse 13. Lord Ananias answered, and imagine you, Ananias. I've heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. Basically, Ananias knows if he goes to Saul right now, Saul's going to kill him. So he's, he's kind of saying, Jesus, are you, are you sure? 
Verse 14, he has come here with authority from the chief priests to arrest all who call on your name. 15, but the Lord said to Ananias, go. And he says to us, go. This man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And we read earlier how much Paul was changed, that he was willing to suffer for us for this. Then Ananias went to the house and entered it. Placing his hands on Saul, he said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you are coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes and he could see again. He got up and was baptized and after taking some food, he regained his strength. There are guys in the world right now, and I've heard Andrew say this, that you're going to go and lead to Jesus They're going to love this more than you love this. Think about that. There are guys in the world right now that don't know God, that you're going to lead to Jesus, that might love Jesus more than you do right now. They're out there. Saul was one. Saul hated this. And then he spoke to Ananias and he said, Go. And Saul went out. And then I went out, ministered to this guy. Saul came in, became Paul, and said, I will do anything for this. That's how much God changed his heart. But he has the challenge. Is that what we are first? Are we? Are we going? And in our hearts already, we love this. Because they're out there waiting to become Paul's. But are we like Paul already? Because we should be, ideally. We should, say, we should be saying to them, come and be part of this, that we are so devoted to one another that we'll give anything. And we know that for many of you, you'll become that too. You'll become a soul that becomes a Paul, that loves this, that's willing to give anything. But God is calling us to that. And I'm calling to Brothers and sisters, men and women, boys and girls of the same womb. You've been born of the same stuff I've been born of. But let's love this thing. Let's love one another because we don't just see according. Brothers, we, and I shared that two weeks ago, we, do know, we no longer regard anyone according to the flesh. We don't look at how cool you are anymore. We see that you've been born of the same thing that I've been born of. And now you are joined with me. We've got the same DNA. We're going to be standing in holy clothes in heaven one day, shining next to each other. And we just look like a rough bunch. You do look beautiful, but I'm just for the sake of the story. You, you were just a rough bunch of guys. But I see in you that shining being that you will be one day when God gives you a new eternal body. And we're going to be standing next to each other. And we've got to see that in one another. And we've got to go out there into the world and call more to this that need to be called because Jesus has got their number. He knows them. They can see them out there. And he says, let's bring them into this. But let's make sure that this is a great reflection of him. Amen? Why don't you stand and let's pray. Just a few, and just for the guys at home as well, if you really feel that you have been impacted by this message, that you really do know that you do need to be more committed. Maybe you were committed and you've waned. 
It's kind of like church is no fun anymore, especially during COVID, especially through all the Zooms, especially through the crazy meeting times. But you realize, I've got to be committed to this thing no matter what, through rain or shine, thick or thin, like a marriage, that I've got to be like, like Paul was. I'm committed to this thing. I'll endure anything. Shipwrecks, sea storms, whatever. Why don't you just raise your hands where you are and make that commitment to the Lord. If you're watching online, why don't you just raise your hands if you're in your lounge or in community. If you know, Lord, I, but not to me, just to the Lord, that I need to be, God changed my heart that I can be like Paul was, that I can be a soul who hated the church to a Paul that would give anything to serve these brothers and sisters, to be devoted. Lord, I just pray for those that need to be recalibrated today, myself included. Lord, we want to be a Paul. We want to be a Ruth. We want to go like an Ananias. Lord, we want to be devoted to this thing that you're doing here. In Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen, amen. Let's call Mally up and um, yeah, let's go to a time of worship. Just as we uh, go to the time of worship, I'm actually going to give to, um, do we have another word? Or? Yeah, there we go, cool. Um, so I just, yeah, even as Joey was sharing, I, um, I don't know if I've, I think most of you know I used to be a Rastafarian like 20 years ago, 25 years ago, um, and I've never really shared my testimony, but it was something that just dropped into my heart, um, even as Joey was sharing. Um, I'd kind of, I'd been part of Rastafarianism for about eight years, uh, lived in teepees, lived in jungles, whatever, like, we were close, we, we lived together, like, we literally lived like, like a village. And there was this sense of you were, we were part of this family, this tribe, this, we were it. We were, like, there was nothing that could come between us. And, and there was a whole lot of laws you had to do. You had to do this and that. And, and I genuinely, there's more law in Rastafarianism than, than anything. Um, but I, I kind of, I was coming out of, God started speaking to me uh, over a period of a year. Um, I started meeting Christians weirdly enough I'd need a lift from here to there and I'd meet an old man and he just wouldn't even have to ask I'd know that he was Christian and he would just start sharing a little bit about love and life and and I remember there was this one particular time I was coming back from the trance sky and I was in my combi and I had a classic old combi and yeah I'd got to I can't even remember what town it was it was some town about like five six hours away from here and I was driving back. It was actually, yeah, it was about an hour, hour out of Neisner. Um, and I literally got a, a hole in my engine, and my engine managed to get me another 60 k's. And I got to a, a petrol station. And I mean, I, I, I had dreadlocks. I had drums. I, I was the complete drug addict. I really was. I, like the, the poster boy drug addict. And... I pulled up at this petrol station and, and I remember phoning my friends up in Neisner who I'd lived with for eight years. And they were maybe 40 minutes drive away. 
And I said to him, look, hey, guys, like, I really need help. My, I've got a hole in my engine. It's managed to get me 60 k's down the road. Um, and they were like, oh, she's your brother, like, really, like, feeling for you, like, like, like just, like, power for you. Like, right now, we're just a little busy. And I was like, I couldn't understand it. I really couldn't because I had got involved in that because of family. I wanted strength. And I, so I went to the petrol station. I, I spoke to the guy. I said, look, is there any way that I can, like, park my car here? Or, and he was like, yeah, sure. And I mean, I look like a complete drug addict. And he let me park my van in the back of his garage. He helped me. He gave me tools. And I, I, and I looked at this guy, and he accepted me and loved me. And I felt loved and adopted, even though I didn't know this guy. He loved me and trusted that he could love me. And let me park my, my, my van in the back of his yard. And he helped me as much as he could. He brought me food. And I was like, on the Sunday, another friend of, a friend, and somebody else came and gave me a lift home. And I, the guy was like, oh, well, glad I could help you. I'm just going to go to church now. We aren't part of family because of us. We're part of family because God has put something in us. We shine the adoption that he's put into us, out of us. It's not what we do. It's because of who he is and what he's put in us. And I felt that that day. I felt adopted, not because because he did anything other than loved me and said, you know what? I can love you. I can love you because I've been loved. And I just, we are a family and we are called to love, but it's only because we've been loved and we've been adopted that we can love anybody or actually have the courage to draw anybody into our family, into his family. So yeah, just be encouraged. It's not because of us. It's because of him.